want to try and get a number of topics in tonight, so here's the first one. It's always taken a while to sort out the leaders' debates, weeks, sometimes months of negotiations between the parties and the main television networks, the so-called consortium. How many debates should there be? How long? Who gets in? Who doesn't? The two sides have always sorted it out in the past, but this year, well, it could be different. Why? And should voters care? Bruce is in Ottawa tonight, Chantel is in Halifax, and Andrew is here in Toronto. This all started a couple of days ago when Corey Tanike of the Conservative Party said that they were backing out of any talks with the consortium. Here's what he said. Watch this. If someone else hosts a debate, say the Globe and Mail hosted a debate, uh, the consortium could cover that and put it on their airwaves if they so chose. And if, if that's really the objective, is having a debate on their airwaves, there will be many opportunities uh, to cover other debates and broadcast them. That's a choice that they can make as a broadcaster. If, if what they're saying is it's our way or no way, then I, I would say that's a, a very difficult position to defend. All right, I'm not sure that's exactly what they're saying, but nevertheless, what's happened is there's a whole uh, new set of rules at play or new uh, policies at play in terms of who's going to do these debates. Others have submitted, parties have agreed to others. What's really going on here? Bruce, why don't you start us? Well, I think the most obvious thing is that we're realizing again just how dysfunctional our system is for organizing these debates. And we talk about this every time there's an election, that we should have a, an independent body that works with the parties to establish what the, uh, the rules are going to be, but that we shouldn't have this constant, <clears throat> pardon me, negotiation, renegotiation game of chicken, which is what's really going on right now. Uh, there's no question that I think it would be a great idea if we had a looser format for the debates, and I think it would also be a good thing if there were more debates. And those are kinds of the th among the things that the Conservatives seem to be advocating for. But the consortium and the other parties haven't been quite as clear in stressing what they're for or what they're not for, if you like. And so we're left with this kind of dangling discussion that's not apparently going anywhere yet, or at least not getting, not getting anything close to finalized. But uh, which is an important one because these debates really do matter in terms of getting voters to engage in an election campaign. Chantel, where are you on it? Well, you can talk about uh, what goes into making the sausages, but in this case, we are talking about the most attended event in an election campaign in Canada. It's not a small thing to say that 10 plus 4, 14 million people uh, tuned in to the debates in the last election. So they are important, they are well attended, and they offer people an opportunity once to see all the leaders. What the Conservatives are saying, it does not seem to go to the goal of having the maximum number of people watching the debates in the campaign. And, and they have articulated a position which is, we're not going to deal with these people who happen to be the major networks uh, in Quebec. Uh, they've accepted an offer from a private network and said they would entertain another. Well, from who? Uh, because there's Gazoo Canada and then who? Uh, and, and in the end, there are no public policy standards to this discussion, and certainly none being set by the conservative position. It doesn't really work to just say, we have a multi-channel environment. So would not the goal be that the debate be as informative? Yes, but as available to the maximum number of people as possible? Andrew, you, you've been on this issue for, uh, for years. I'm not sure, though, whether this week has brought things any closer to where you want it to be. Um, given what's happened so far? Well, the first step is to depart from the status quo, so at least we've got the, the logjam broken in that sense. Look, the debates, electron debates, go back 40 or 50 years in Canada, 
and yet we persist in treating them as some kind of novelty. They've just shown, in, most recently in the Alberta election, how critical they can be. Oftentimes they're critical not necessarily for the best reasons, but because somebody did or did not land a quote-unquote knockout blow. But they're obviously of, of immense public interest. They're obviously something that is part of the electoral landscape now. They're not just internal matters of camp party campaigns. They're, they, they're part of the whole election firmament. And it's time that we regularize it. What we've done now is we've left behind the not very pleasant certainty of the uh, the consortium process, which with very unsatisfactory result we got from that, and we're now plunged into this sort of multiple overlapping negotiations, which may or may not yield more and better debates. For the longer term, we've got to, as, Bill, as Bruce said, we've got to start thinking about ways to regularize this, to provide for a number of debates, to give people some sense of certainty. Do you really think the consortium idea is dead? We shall see. There is, a, again, as Bruce said, a kind of a game of chicken going on, whether the Tories will make good on their threats not to participate or whether they'll eventually come around because the others are, are planning to attend and they don't want an empty chair. Uh, the, from what I hear from the consortium, they're still planning on holding some debates themselves, and so we'll just have to see how it plays out. And to Chantel's point, uh, you know, obviously the consortium idea is the idea that does produce the biggest potential audience. Uh, of, of all the various uh, different proposals that may or may not be on the table. And if the idea is to get the biggest audience of Canadians watching an important public policy discussion... Well, well again... Well, <laughs> Bruce, I would ahead. say that that's generally, you know, a fair proposition, but I think we have to be careful about that. I, I, I think that making better debates and more debates is probably the best way to get the largest number of people paying attention. And I also think that it's true that there are lots of ways in which people can access uh, streaming content these days. They don't necessarily go to the same channels on a TV dial as would have been the case in years gone by. So I don't want to dismiss the importance of the consortium and the role that they've played in building an audience for these things and the, and the technological capabilities that they have to deliver uh, to a very large audience. But uh, I do think we need to be a little bit careful about assuming that that's the only way to get a very large audience to pay attention. I'm... I'm, I'm slightly suspicious of the notion that they're mutually exclusive. Uh, and that is where I get off the uh, let's break the status quo and have what, uh, whatever comes into the mind of the party with the biggest stick, which happens to be the party in power. I don't see how uh, it advances the cause of having more debates in different formats to say a blanket no to having the consortium have debates. And I say this from having watched the Quebec experience. Yes, Quebec has had different debates. The consortium, the Quebec one, had the debate that you usually watch that is available pretty much to anyone, including people who don't have cable or a computer or Wi-Fi. They do exist in large communities. And TVA had a different format, one-on-ones with leaders. That was great. What doesn't really work with what happened this week is this notion that it's one or the other. It wasn't great when it was just a consortium and nothing else. Why should it be good to say we're going to do something else so there will be no proposal from the consortium? That, frankly, only suggests that you want to narrow the audience because this is an event in the campaign that drives participation and turnout. And it, it, it comes across as an attempt to once again, discouraged turnout. All right. Um, well, one person who wants a debate and will attend it wherever it is is Tom Mulcair. Uh, he's had a good week uh, following the victory for the NDP in Alberta, and it seems to have rubbed off on him somewhat. Here he is last Friday. Let's look at the smile on his face. 
As Jack Layton always said, don't let them tell you it can't be done. And he's thinking that things are possible for him on a national basis. It's not just an Alberta thing. And there are some indications, if you believe in polls and surveys, that things may be happening. What's happening, Bruce? Well, I think that, uh, you know, there's obviously a rush in this town. Anytime there's a new piece of data of any sort to make a fundamental declaration that something has changed permanently for the future. And I think we need to be very careful about that. I do think it's a reasonable bet that the election result in Alberta was the second best or maybe the best thing to happen to Tom Mulcair's NDP since he became leader, the other thing being the Mike Duffy-Nigel Wright affair. Uh, in, in that context, it's possible, and it's maybe even plausible, that there will be some ripple effect across the country where people say, well, maybe the NDP isn't as risky or as toxic an idea to me if Albertans can embrace it. So I think there's some reason for spring in the step of the New Democrats. But it's also the case that I think people need to be careful not to overread that, not to suggest all of a sudden that there's going to be um, anything other than what we thought there was going to be all along, which is three competitive parties with three different leaders uh, all fighting and all with a chance to win in this election this fall. That's what I see anyway, and I'm personally more inclined to take a little bit of time. But I, I do think you've got now, instead of one party that had to fight on two fronts, that being the NDP, I think you now have the Conservatives and Liberals that both have to fight on two fronts because they have to be looking a little bit more cautiously at the role of the NDP. All right. Polls and surveys are one thing. Anecdotal evidence is, is quite another. Uh, Chantelle, you've been traveling around a little bit. What do you say? Yes. Uh, actually, I was there on Friday at that uh, Montreal rally. And I have to say that uh, the people in the room, the kind of crowd that it was, it was a, a very francophone crowd, very young crowd, very engaged. Uh, it's hard to imagine even five years ago that the NDP would be able to hold a rally like that on a Friday night, on a nice Friday night. Uh, and, and what that says is uh, Quebec voters might be tempted to say, well, the NDP is a serious option. It's serious enough for Albertans, so why don't we stick with it? I think the other uh, anecdotal evidence, um, it's not evidence. I met Mr. Mulcair by accident uh, on my way to my flight this morning, I pointed out to him that I'd spent the summer watching Ed Broadbent at the top of the polls, <laughs> and he promptly said, we're not in the same position as Ed Broadbent was then. And that is true. There is Quebec. But there is also the fact that in Ontario and Quebec, the Liberals provincially are not terribly popular for all kinds of provincial reasons. And there are voters who don't want to vote Conservative who might now consider the NDP federally uh, they might not want to vote for Justin Trudeau because they're angry at Philippe Couillard and Kathleen Wynne. They might see the NDP as more of, of an option, and I think that's an opening uh, for Mr. Mulcair. He's assuming, I think many of us are, that the NDP in Alberta will not have time to make itself unpopular enough to cost him votes. Things can move pretty fast, though, <laughs> in today's yes, world. Yes, they can. Absolutely. Uh, 88, remember that summer very well. And uh, Ed Broadbent was leading in the polls going into that fall election. They were all, the talk was they were already measuring the trapes at 24 Sussex. Uh, Andrew, what are, where are you on it? Well, lots of room for caution. It's, you know, one poll is five months to go. But this is a potentially very fluid and dynamic polling environment for two reasons. One is that people have never 
one of the things that's held back the NDP is people look at it and go, well, they can't win. Why should I even give them a, a, a consideration because they can't win? If their perception goes actually they're contenders, then a lot of those voters are going to look at them afresh, having been sort of given permission, as it were, from the Alberta experience. And the second thing is for people who are looking to get rid of the Harper government, who are looking for the party best placed to defeat the Harper government, if that's what they're looking at, until now they've been looking at the liberals potentially and saying, well, we might as well go for them because they're going to be the, have the best chance. If the NDP can sustain a lead over the Liberals, then a lot of those voters are going to, are going to change their mind. They're going to say that's the party that can defeat them. All right. Any sign of panic in the Liberal uh, quarters as a result of all this? Any truth? Well, I think that they've got to be thinking that this is a this is an important development. In the past, what they when they had a seven or eight point lead, who knows what it is right now? There's one poll that says it's a three way race. We'll we'll see. But in the past, when they had a seven or eight point lead. Um, it was easier to make the case to themselves and to others that what they really needed to do was just attack Stephen Harper and that the voters who wanted change would gravitate towards them. If the situation is uh, more even between the Liberals and NDP, I think Andrew is absolutely right. But Peter, your point is for me the most compelling one, the one I need to keep reminding myself, even though I'm consuming a lot of data all the time, which is that the new normal is things can look fairly stable for a while, then they can bounce around. And certainly that polls well in advance of an election campaign aren't always great predictors of what's going to happen once uh, low engagement voters start to pay attention in an election campaign. And we know for a fact that people have far lower levels of attachment to parties, um, haven't studied the issues as much as would have been the case decades ago. And as you say, more things can happen more quickly. All right. I'm just writing that down. Peter made a compelling point. <laughs> That's a first. Okay, um, just before we go, we're out of time, but I want to show you something that happened um, in Nova Scotia today. You won't be able to see it out there, but you'll hear it. Watch this. I ask you, Madam Chancellor, on behalf of the Senate of Mount St. Vincent University, to bestow upon Chantal Saint-Cyr Hébert the degree of Doctor of Humane Letters honoris causa. Yes, well, there she is. Dr. Hebert joins the panel tonight. Congratulations, Chantel. That's great Thank news you. from Mount Congratulations. St. Vincent University. Do we have to call her doctor now? Yes, we no. do. We, for the rest of this panel, which is now working. <laughs> Dr. Hebert in Halifax, Bruce in Ottawa, and Andrew here in Toronto.